Amen. I sure love to hear God's people praise the Lord. What a joy it is when you can hear everybody singing together and lifting our voices up. What a, what a blessing it is. You know, when I was a kid, I couldn't wait to turn 16. And I'm sure some of these young people are, can't wait to turn 16. Because when I would turn 16, I could take my driver's license test and hopefully get my driver's license. You know, I had two older brothers, and both of them had their driver's license. And it appeared to me that once you get your driver's license, there's a certain amount of freedom that comes with that. And um, I don't know, I thought that, man, that, that's, something, that's something I want. And, and, you know, the big day finally came. I think it was the day after my birthday. And uh, I went down, I was nervous as all get out. You know, I hadn't had much training. And, uh, but I felt confident, I can, I can pass this, I can, I can do this. And, um, but I want you to know something. The first time I took my driver's test, I flunked it. You know, everything was progressing just fine. Things were going really well until the examiner asked me to make a left-hand turn in a busy intersection. And um, my dad had told me when I was driving, he had, he had emphasized several times, in a turn, you don't want to stop, or you don't want to slow down, you don't want to break, you actually want to just kind of go on through the curve, you know, go on, make the turn. And so as I was going through this left-hand turn, I pushed the accelerator a little bit, and the car started to get away from me, if you know what I mean. And what I was thinking in my head came out my mouth. And I'm driving, I'm going around this curve, and I go, whoa! You know, I thought everything was, was pretty good. I thought, I thought I did all right, you know. So we get back, and, and the, the examiner gets out, and I get out, and I walk around the front of the car, and I'm just dying to know if, I'm, if I passed. And I said, uh, well, did I pass? He just looked at the ground and shook his head no. He muttered something about general car control. I, I, don't, I don't know. But anyway, you know, I, I, I practiced up a little bit more and I went back and I finally got my my, passed my test and got my license. And I was reading uh, this week about a California driver's license examiner. And, and this, is, this is a good one. Um, this teenager had just taken this test and it was almost a, a perfect test. And the examiner said this, he said he made his only mistake when he stopped the car and we got out of it. And after breathing a big sigh of relief, the boy exclaimed, I'm sure glad I don't have to drive like that all the time. <laughs> you know, it, it's hilarious. That boy was like a lot of church-going Americans. I'm sure I, I'm glad I don't have to live like that all the time. I mean, we put on a good front when we know somebody's watching. And when they're not, we let our standards down. It's amazing to me how spiritual sometimes people can become when they know someone's watching. But understand this, 
Someone is watching all the time. There's not much difference between us and those in the world. Except that we go to church a little more. I mean, Christians watch the same television shows. They watch the same stuff, the movies. Same number of hours a week as people who don't claim to know Christ. Christian youth are involved in sexual immorality at the same rate as those who don't know Christ. Many Christian businessmen have a bad reputation. It would seem that our Christianity doesn't have much of an effect on the way that we live. And folks, this is why we need discipleship. This is why we need discipleship. You know, I've said it a hundred times, not everyone, no one is batting a thousand. We are all sinners saved by the grace of God. We all need that kind of discipleship. See, if evangelism is similar to giving birth, they are born again, similar to giving birth, then discipleship is actually raising that child to maturity. And in most species, we think of maturity as being when they can reproduce. But the bottom line for most of us is we're not reproducing what we are. See, I believe that every believer needs a lifestyle of discipleship. Men with men and women with women, discipling them, iron sharpening iron so that we grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Over the next few weeks, I want you to hear personally from several people in our body explaining what discipleship looks like in their lives. And discipleship might look a little bit different, specific to each one of our lives. But I want you to watch this video. It's just a real short video, and uh, I'll be right back. You know, I, I love that because it's a personal testimony of what discipleship means uh, in Garrett's life. And we've got a few others that we're going to share with you in, in subsequent weeks. But just to be clear from the very beginning, uh, you cannot go to heaven by trying to be holy. Because good works cannot pay the penalty for your sin and mine. It has to be something other than our own good works. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, the one who lived a sinless life, the only person who ever lived a sinless life on this earth, is the the sacrifice worthy of paying our sin debt. You see, it's His blood that can satisfy the justice of God. Either we pay the price for our sin, or we put our faith in Jesus, and His blood pays the price for our sin. But it's not our good works. It's not what we do. It's not because we're a good person. It's not because we do acts of kindness and, 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 and maybe go to church or, or pay a tithe or do this or do that. It's not what saves us. The only thing that saves us, according to God's Word, is Jesus Christ and His blood on our lives. Amen. See, if, we, if our faith in, in Christ is to save us, if it's genuine, it will bring about a life of 
I want to say, progressive holiness. That we're going we're to continue to move forward in that discipleship. Uh, in, in Hebrews 12, it says, without holiness, no one will see God. So there's three aspects in which we are holy, and I just want to give these real quickly to you. And, and, and Scripture calls it sanctified, but that's the same word as, as holy, uh, as God's people. And the moment that we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are positionally sanctified. We are. That's past tense. We have been saved. We put our faith in Him. We have been saved. Positionally, we are sanctified. We are holy. But then we are also, we are being progressively sanctified by growing in holiness. This is what happens with discipleship. We begin to learn more about what it means to love God and to serve God. And and so we are progressively becoming holy in that. And this process will not be completed as long as we are in this body. We continue to strive and to work for that. But, it, but it's present tense. We are being progressively sanctified. And then when we meet the Lord, we will be perfectly sanctified. That's, that's future tense. We will be being made complete in Him and we will be like Him. See, I know of no text in Scripture that needs to be burned into the American Christian's thinking like 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. If you turn there with me in your Scripture, we're going to read that. But it really, we need to hear this and we need to let it soak deep. Okay, it's pretty, pretty simple, but, but we need to let it soak deep. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Peter writes this, he says, Therefore... Prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Loving Father, I thank you for this time. And Father, I thank you for loving us so much that you gave your Son for us. I pray, Father, in this moment that that your Holy Spirit would guide us to all truth. And Father, that that we would confess those sins. And Father, that we would um, come in repentance to you. Submitting ourselves to You, Father. Submitting ourselves to learning more about You through discipleship. Father, to be what You call us to be, which is indeed holy. Thank You, Father, for loving us. I pray that You would guide us in our time together. In Jesus' name, Amen. See, Peter was writing to people who had come from pagan backgrounds. They worshiped pagan gods and, 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 and animistic type gods and they were coming out of that pagan society and there was a great pressure for them to conform to society around them. And so he writes this to them and he calls his readers to holiness in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's wonderful because he, says, he starts out, he says, therefore, and, and that points back to everything that he's already said previously in this chapter. 
He's, he's saying all, all of these things because you have an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled. You are protected by the power of God. And, and, and you, you have, you know, the proof of your faith is that you're going through these various trials, but you have been saved for all eternity. And so he's, he's saying, therefore, in light of all of this, do this. And I, I love that because he, he's very, he's, he's calling them to action uh, in the power of Almighty God who loved us and, and calls us into salvation. You know, in these times, these biblical times when he was writing, men and women wore, wore robes, more, uh, you know, not, not, not pants and, and jeans and things like that, but they wore robes. And what they would do is they would have a belt around them and, and that belt was sometimes called a girdle. And what they would do is if they had some strenuous type of activity, they would pick up the, the flowing part of the robe and they would, they would tuck it in that belt. And it would allow them to not get tripped up. It would allow them to do work. It would allow them to run or do whatever needed to be done. And so really what he's, what he's saying here is he, he says, prepare your minds for action. Or gird up the loins of your mind. Now that's kind of hard for us to get around because that's, you know, we don't wear those and we don't really see that too much today. But you think about that. They did this so they would be ready for action. Today we might say something like, well, cinch up your belt, or roll up your sleeves, or maybe take your coat off. We're going to chop some wood, you're going to be plenty warm. But the idea is get ready for action. Okay, that's really what he's saying here. And when this expression is used, it's used in reference to the mind. This is key. This is key. Because it's an appeal to not let our thoughts and our decisions just kind of hang loose. It's like get ready to work. Be prepared for action. Gird up the loins is to be prepared for action. So every disciple is called to live a godly and, and holy and pure lifestyle. And, and commitment to Jesus begins this lifelong transformation, a change in our habits, a change in our, our practices. And the text shows us that a life of discipleship is really a present activity. It's something going on right here, right now. See, disciples have strong minds. Their minds aren't cluttered up with wrong thoughts. It's easy for us to allow our minds just to hang loose. And we, we, we take in whatever is around us and we, we just accept that and bring that in. But, but disciples have strong minds. They're fixed on what is true and what is honorable. You know, in my life, discipleship means I cannot go to some of those places I used to go to. It means I cannot say whatever I want to say, whenever I want to say it, or however I want to say it. It means I can't post things that, that are disparaging to other people. It means that I can't get involved in that uh, when, when things are, are, are they're, they're running down other people. I can't do that. Things are different. See, a disciplined lifestyle is one that exhibits the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy. And peace and patience, ooh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Oh, that's the big one right there, self-control. I think we could pull over and park there for just a moment. 
Okay, let's do. Listen, all of the worldliness of Christians first takes place in the mind. It all takes place in the mind. That's why he says, prepare your minds for action. We have to have transformed minds. That's why Peter goes on and he says, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. And the reason he tells us that is because we're prone to do that. We go back to that. And we keep going back to that. And we keep going back to that. And so what he's saying is, don't do that anymore. Just stop it. Stop it. See, conformity to the world and its thinking is probably the greatest hindrance to holy living. We get conformed to the world and we're lulled to sleep by it. Think about this. Consider an athlete. Consider an athlete in a sport where they are all in. Maybe they're going to the Olympics. You know what I'm saying? They, their life is very disciplined. It's very regimented. They, they, they get plenty of rest at night. They go to bed when they need to go to bed. They're not out partying with their friends. They do what they're supposed to do. They work out. All of their diet, everything they take in is, is built towards what they're going to need for, for their body. Okay? They're disciplined in their workout. They go to the gym. They, do, they, they, they run their miles. They do everything that they're supposed to do so that they will have the, the, the stamina, so that they will have the wind, so that they will have the strength, so that they will have the body that they need to have in order to accomplish what they want to accomplish. But they're very disciplined in that. See, a great many of our problems in our society are caused by our lack of discipline. If we were disciplined in our eating, we wouldn't have all the health problems that we have. If we were disciplined in our spending, we wouldn't have all the, 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 the credit debt and, and, the, and the debt, I want to say stress, that we, that we have. If we were disciplined in our obedience to the Word of God, we wouldn't have all the immorality and wickedness and evil that we see so prominent in our world. See, many, if not most, of our problems in society comes from our lack of discipline. Really, it's rebellion against God. We're just not going to do it. So when discipline is removed from the home, and when discipline is removed from the school, And when discipline is removed from the church, then everyone is living for themselves and their own lusts. And that is exactly what is happening in our great nation. See, every person is doing what is right in their own eyes. They're justifying their sin. And without discipline, it's, it's all just coming to fruit. We're sowing our wild oats, and now we're reaping a harvest. See, we've replaced the Word of God and made our own happiness the standard. Listen, many Christians, even young people, they fail this part of Paul's command just by the time they go to bed at night. 
They stay up too late. They don't get a good night's sleep. They're, they're up doing all sorts of things. They're on their phones. They're playing video games. They're doing all these things. Watching late night TV. Whatever it might be. But they don't get good sleep, which affects their ability to get up and spend time with God. They're not living self-controlled lives. They live school-controlled lives. They live socially controlled lives. They live media-controlled lives. They live girlfriend and boyfriend-controlled lives. But they're not living self-controlled lives. See, being self-controlled is important in order for us to make the most of our time in serving God. And, and I want to just give you Ephesians 5.15, my paraphrase, don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. Look, look at what it says. That's what it says. Don't be dumb. So if you're not living a self-controlled life, you're not being wise. Because this is what he's saying. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. It starts in the mind. I think this is huge. Because disciples also have clear-headed spirits. They're calm and collected in their temperament. They have a secure hope because they look forward to Jesus' return. See, the encouragement here when he says to be sober, keep sober in spirit, indicates the need for vigilance. And the word literally means not drunk. Be sober. Be not drunk. But obviously it has a spiritual application, meaning to be alert and self-controlled. See, the Christian life involves action. And that's what he's saying. Prepare your minds for action. The Christian life involves action, but we need to be sure that we're involved in the right activities. When the decision to act is made, the believer needs to be sure that the right thing, that they're doing the right thing in the right way. See, we're all to have clear minds and have our wits about us. We're all to see things as they really are. Not like a drunk person who sees things that are distorted or everything blown out of perspective. I mean, hypothetically, if, you, you know, if you're drunk, it may seem like a good idea to you, this guy in the bar that is talking to you about this surefire investment thing where you can make 300% on your money in two months. And if you're drunk, you're probably going to consider it. But if you're sober, you're not even tempted by it. It's like, well, the guy's a fool. I'm not going to listen to him. That's what he's saying. Keep sober in spirit. Your adversary, the devil, prowls to and fro seeking whom he may devour. This is key. If there were a literal lion outside, you've been to the zoo, you've seen these things. They're huge. When they open their mouth, your head can fit in it. They're big. They're scary. They're unknown. If a literal lion was on the loose outside, it wouldn't be wise for you to go out there and take a stroll. You wouldn't be goofing off with it either. You'd be on the lookout for a sure sign of it. You'd make sure your kids were indoors and you'd, you'd let them know what the dangers are of going outside. You'd take every precaution you could so that you wouldn't become his next meal. But listen, we live in enemy territory. 
We live in enemy territory. If you feed your mind on the garbage of the world and you don't feed on God's word, it's like getting drunk and staggering outside when there's a lion out there. Because you're, you're all absorbed in it. You don't even see it. Because we've not been feasting on God's word. You're going to be dead meat. And you're definitely not going to be a person who's intentional about your discipleship. See, my point is that discipleship begins in your thought life. You must be intentional about it. Because what you think determines how you live. See, one of the most practical things that I could tell you about living for Christ is deal with your sin on the thought level. Deal with your sin on the thought level before it becomes a problem. Judge wicked thoughts instantly when you have them. Confess them to God and replace them with thoughts about Him and His Word. But here's the problem. We have a a, a thought that is not a good thought, and instead of getting rid of it, we hang on to it. And we don't think it's going to harm anything. (laughs) If you're envious of someone, judge it in your own heart, confess it to him, and ask God to replace it with love, his love for that person. If you're lusting after a man or a woman, confess it to God. Deal with it instantly. I want to say flee from it, both mentally and physically. As Paul put it, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. See, it's on the thought level that your life is really and truly real or fake. Because you can fool everyone else. But God knows your thoughts. And there isn't anyone who ever committed adultery who didn't entertain that idea, that thought, first in his or her mind. See, a lifestyle of discipleship is also a past exclusion. It's a present activity, but it's also a past exclusion. Because disciples have cut themselves off from their old unsaved ways. And I believe this explains why much of uh, Christianity today is shallow in our day. Because people invite Jesus into their heart. They invite Him into their heart because they want to, they've been told that they will live the abundant life, that you will have an abundant life. And, and they like what Jesus is doing for them. If they like what He's doing and if they feel like their lives are happier, there's that word again, happier now than they were, then they'll let Jesus stay in office. It's not about your happiness. It's about what God desires you to be because He created you. See, we don't like that. We're uncomfortable with that. The folks, they've never made a break with their past life. They've never repented. They've added Jesus to whatever they were doing. They're still running their own lives, living for their same selfish purposes. And the only difference is now they're trying to use Jesus to fulfill their selfish desires. Folks, that's not saving faith. Saving faith involves repentance. It involves a turning from what we did before to where we are now. See, I would say this. Discipleship equals fellowship. Discipleship equals fellowship. 
See, a lifestyle of, of discipleship is also a perfect affirmation. Disciples are to be holy in all their being and activities. The perfect pattern for disciples' lives is Jesus. You know, Pastor John MacArthur, he, he tells about a well-known charismatic pastor who told him that sometimes in the morning when he's shaving, Jesus comes into his bathroom and puts his arm around him and they have a conversation. I love John's response. He says, and you keep shaving? I mean, every time in the Bible where anyone sees the resurrected Christ, they fall flat on their face. You know, Peter says in this final grace, that this final grace, this total salvation is on the way. And I think this is, this is, this is fantastic. God is in the process right now of bringing this to us. It's on its way. It's a done deal. And we will receive it. See, God's not passive. God is active. And he's moving. And he's doing things in our world right now. Amen. And he's actively bringing our salvation to pass. Yeah, we look at it and we say, we're, we're trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But God is in the, in, the, in the business of bringing all of creation back into unity. Back into, under the obedience of Christ. So that he will be Lord of all. He's actively bringing about our salvation. I love this. See, looking at our salvation is kind of like, okay, here comes the chef. It's kind of like looking at a dinner menu. It includes justification so that when God looks at me, it's just as if Jesus is standing there covering me. Okay? When He sees me, He doesn't see me. He doesn't see my sin. What He sees is He sees His sinless Son in my place. Just as if. Justification. That's when I'm saved. When I confess Jesus as my Savior and Lord, He comes in, He forgives me of my sin, He, he, he takes my place for my punishment. Justification. See, that's like the appetizer. That's like that, that first thing that kind of gets you going. Okay, and then you have this sanctification, which is the second part, and, 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 and it's the main course. And, and, and all of our life, we're working on this sanctification. We're, we're, we're being, becoming holy. You have justification and sanctification. And both of those we're enjoying right now. We're enjoying both of those right now. As we live this life, we're enjoying both of those. And glorification comes as the dessert. Glorification, the last item on the menu, will come afterwards. While we are enjoying this delicious meal... While we're living today, we're not worrying about whether there will be dessert or not. It's on the menu. It's coming out. Even though this is the best part of the meal, we're not worrying about that. We're, wor we're working on what He has given us. And we're eating and we're enjoying that. And we know that dessert is on the menu and it will be brought to us as soon as we're ready for it. I mean, isn't that when they bring dessert? When you're ready for it, 
We don't worry because we know that our final salvation is on the way. And it is the best and most exciting aspect of our salvation. Ain't that going to be something? I mean, what a day that will be when my Jesus I will see, when I look upon His face, the One who saved me by His grace. And when He takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Oh, folks, that's dessert. That's what we're all waiting for. I mean, we're down here, we're working on it, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling, but one day, He's bringing that about. And we know it's coming. We know it's coming, and it's going to be wonderful. You see, discipleship is a process of growing to know God as He has revealed Himself in Scripture. And this knowledge of the Holy One has a transforming effect on our life. We can and we must grow in discipleship as we grow to know our holy God. He says, be holy even as I am holy. I'm almost done. See, our testimony among believers will be more effective if it's backed up by a lifestyle that's consistent with our claim to belong to Jesus. See, a lifestyle of discipleship, it may look different in your life and mine. It may be a little bit different. I mean, it might look like this. It might be like speaking a kind word of encouragement to your spouse or to a neighbor or maybe a coworker. It may mean meeting with other disciples regularly and walking together towards Christ. It may mean not being lazy and cleaning the house. I mean, it depends on what your context is. Discipleship, obedience to Christ, is doing what He asks you to do. If it's to walk the journey beside a brother or sister, then do that. If it's, if it's sharing with someone else, I mean, it may be seeking to treat our employees or maybe our restaurant food servers fairly and justly. It's having an attitude of joy in crisis while the crisis is going on and it's exercising patience towards our children. All of this is discipleship. It looks differently. And you may not think it's, it's discipleship, but I guarantee you, if you are working towards what God is calling you to do moment by moment, by moment by moment, day by day, you're working on that sanctification. You're working on that discipleship. See, biblical holiness is being separated to God, away from sin. It's being dedicated to Christ and having a heart for God. It's an internal attitude that results in the external fruit of the Spirit. I end with this quote from Leonard Ravenhill. Great man, great writer. He wrote, the greatest miracle that God could do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world, make that man holy, put him back in that unholy world, and keep him holy in it. Amen, brother. The greatest miracle. Folks, that's our holiness. That's our discipleship. That's walking as Jesus calls us to walk.
Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I recognize I need you every hour. Father, we are all just frail children of dust with feet of clay. And Father, we fail you over and over and over again. But God, we recognize that we need you. And Father, I pray that in this room today, that Holy Spirit, you would examine our hearts. Lord, you know our thoughts. You know everything about us, and yet you still love us. Father, we fall so short, but we recognize our need for a Savior. We recognize our need for a Lord. So I ask in this time, Father, the moments that follow, that we would be honest with you about where we are. Father, you know all things. We, we can keep nothing from you. I pray for a genuine lifestyle of discipleship for each and every believer. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be the people that you call us to be. I pray, Father, that you would bring a great repentance upon your church. And Father, that as we individually get in tune with You, Father, that we would be in tune with each other. Father, that our churches would be reunited. That the believers would be reunited. Father, that we would see discipline in our schools. Father, that we would see discipline in our homes. Father, that our homes would be reunited. God, that there would be a, a great turning away from sin and back to You. Lord, I pray that for Your people. I pray that for Your bride. Father, I pray that You would continue to wash us with Your Word. Father, thank You for loving us. Thank You for guiding us. Thank You for filling us and using us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.